Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In her new and recently released book, To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University, author, civil rights attorney, and law professor Gita Kapoor chronicles the racism that's afflicted the University of North Carolina since its founding nearly 230 years ago and traces its insidious effects on students, faculty, and even the venerable Tar Heel sports programs. Earlier this week, I caught up with Kapoor for an extended conversation, and in part one, we discussed the origins of the book and its title, the enormous role that enslaved people played in building the school and serving its students and leaders for decades, and how Kapoor came to feel deeply inspired to tell the story of one such enslaved person, a man named Wilson Caldwell. Gita Kapoor, welcome back to News and Views. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, Rob. So the last time we talked, it was almost sort of like a sneak preview of the book, your new book. Now the book is out. Talk to us a little bit about what that's been like and maybe the reaction you've received. The feedback that has surprised me the most that I did not expect to get has been from academics at the university. Mm. There were several comments on Twitter about professors who had been at the university. One had been there for, I believe, a decade. And his remark was that he didn't know about this history. And another professor said she was having the same experience. A number of academics have have thanked me for, for writing this book, which is a little bit surreal because the entire time I was writing it, I kept telling my editor, I'm not writing this for academics. I'm writing this <laughs> for everyday people to be able to understand. I don't quite frankly don't remember how to write in an academic way. I don't think I've written in an academic way since law school. So it's been surprising to have their support. But I think in light of all of the crises that have happened at the university, I think people have a lot of questions. And the students, I actually had my book released on campus, and the students are all very grateful, which means a lot to me. That's terrific. I think sometimes we take things for granted. We assume that people know stuff. And as you say, there's a lot of people even deeply immersed in the in the um, culture of UNC Chapel Hill, for whom this story that you tell in this book is just something they were unaware of, or unfortunately chose not to be aware of. Remind our listeners about the title, Why, Why to Drink from the Well. Some people may not be familiar with the story of UNC Chapel Hill. Well, the old well is an iconic symbol of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. The old well has been there since around the 1860s or so. The structure that's there now was built in the late 1800s by a chancellor who believed that democracy needed an expression in an art form. So there's this symbol of democracy. The title came about, I have to give credit to my editor, Robin Mira. She's the one that came up with the title. There was a quote in the book from one of the lawyers who was the lead lawyer in a lot of the lawsuits to desegregate the university. His name was Conrad Pearson. He continued his fight to open the doors of the university because he imagined that when the enslaved people were digging the old well, with every dig, with every pick of the shovel, they must have imagined that their ancestors would one day drink from the fountain of knowledge, which was to one day drink from the well. That's sort of at the core of this basic story with which so many people in modern times may not even have really contemplated the notion that this place, this university that is such a a testament to the pursuit of knowledge and, as you say, democracy and 
all that's good in the world was built on the backs of enslaved people, literally, quite literally. Their blood, sweat, and tears are in the foundation of the university. That's a story just in and of itself that maybe a lot of North Carolinians probably haven't ever even contemplated. You tell the story of an individual, is it Wilson Caldwell? Tell that story. That's a, that's a pretty remarkable one. I'm happy to tell that story. As I dug deeper and deeper into the university's history, I naively wondered when this all started. And that's primarily because I'm an immigrant to this nation, especially to North Carolina. So I really didn't think about, well, this probably started during slavery. One day I got off the elevator at the Wilson Library and opened the doors, the glass doors to go into the room where researchers sit and comb through materials. And something just stopped me. It was a picture of an African-American man, a black and white picture. It was a very grainy picture. He had a very sad, depressed, defeated look on his face. I did not know who he was, but the entire world around me stopped. And I felt him say, tell my story, tell my story. And then I knew standing there that he had to be the beginning of the story. I later read the caption of the photograph and found out who he was. Um, his name was Wilson Caldwell. He was an enslaved person who belonged to President Swain, who was a former governor of North Carolina. President of the university. Became, yes, who later became president of the university. But what's interesting is that though President Swain owned legal title, had legal title to Wilson. He was known then as Wilson Swain. Wilson Swain worked and labored for the university, for the students primarily. He was responsible for ringing the bell every morning to open the nation's first public university. And then he had, you know, a multitude of things that he had to do. He was the one who would draw water from the old well. I had to study how water is drawn from a well. Uh, mm -hmm. just because I'm not familiar with it at all. <laughs> but it's a very tedious process. The bucket is small, and he had to get water for all of the students in Old East Dormitory. And then he had to build, in the winter, he would have to build a fire for all of them. And just so your readers understand, in those days, there was not running water at the university. So their only water supply was the old well. It's interesting in the archives, there were a lot of stories about the work that he did, but there were no stories about who he was, what ambitions, what dreams he had. Certainly his ambitions were far larger than being an enslaved person. He and his wife had 11 children. I'm sure like all parents, I have dreams for my daughter. I'm sure he had dreams for his children. All of those were deferred, eventually died because he was enslaved. And, you know, I find it really interesting that he was born on university property in slavery. He lived through emancipation, lived through Jim Crow segregation, and then died on university property two years after Plessy versus Ferguson was decided in wow. 1898. Wow. And after the Wilmington tragedy as well. We're talking with civil rights activist and law professor Gita Kapoor about her new book, To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University, which is, of course, UNC Chapel Hill. The story you tell, Gita, is it's a fitful story of progress and, and reaction that, you know, in some ways, I would say kind of mirrors North Carolina more broadly, it seems to me, because North Carolina has a reputation in some circles as being one of the more progressive states in the South. It's not Alabama or Mississippi in some ways, but in other ways, the white supremacy and racism that were 
a part of the foundation of the university, indeed a part of the foundation of the state. It took a long time to root them out. And indeed, they really haven't been rooted out yet. It's been a it's been an up and down process. And indeed, we've had some setbacks even in recent months and years. It's impossible to summarize that whole story here. But what are some of the things that really stand out to you that that perhaps some of our listeners may not be aware of or that you think just are, are seminal events in that roller coaster ride, perhaps of incremental progress? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, North Carolina is viewed as one of the progressive or liberal states in the <laughs> South, but that is a myth. And that's an image that the state would like everyone to believe. The truth is that after Brown versus Board of Education, North Carolina state officials consulted with state officials in Mississippi and got their plan for circumventing the Brown mandate, which required schools be desegregated with all deliberate speed. They took great advantage of the fact that that was a very loose legal standard with no timeline. They developed this plan very similar to the plan in Mississippi called a pupil assignment plan. And at the time, every state in the South had a pupil assignment plan. Now, North Carolina's plan was crafted this way. The State Board of Education that had power over all the local school boards and over busing, that control was transferred to all the local school boards. So the local school boards now had the authority to decide who would go to what school. And of course, that meant they had control over what Black students would go to what white schools. In order to go from a Black to a white school, the Black child had to apply. And the standards under which the child had to apply were just as vague as all deliberate speed. And there were all of these pretextual reasons that the Black child could be denied from going to that school. Well, on one hand, the Black child was behind in academics, therefore, it would have been detrimental to the child to be admitted to the white school. And then on the other hand, the black child was, you know, had a stellar academic record and being in a white school may interrupt that. That's sort of how the standard was so loose, but that kind of plan came directly out of Mississippi. Absolutely. So the image that this state is liberal and progressive is not true. Well, there clearly were some, there were a handful, a small handful of leaders who perhaps tried maybe to make some progress, but not maybe not without a whole lot of success. A couple, a few stand out. Are there any that are even noteworthy or is that all mythology about the fact that there were some white quasi-progressives who sought to move the state forward in the 20th century, perhaps where other states in the South were less inclined to move in that direction? You know, like every story, there are protagonists and antagonists. Um, and one person who stands out in my mind is President Frank Porter Graham. He was the first president of the Consolidated University. He was liberal. He was a fierce defender of academic freedom. He believed that schools should be desegregated, but not by federal mandate. He believed that, naively believed, in my opinion, that religion mm-hmm. and education would bring about a change in people's hearts. And, and that would be the only way to really have lasting change. So he stands out in my mind as someone who did bring some very radical change to the University of North Carolina. For example, when Langston Hughes came to UNC in the 1930s, there was a, a huge uproar across the state about why was this Black man allowed to come on campus and read poems that were blasphemous. He had a poem called Christ in Alabama, where he equated Christ on the cross to a black man being lynched. 
And of course, that inflamed many North Carolinians. So Frank Porter Graham stood his ground on that and stood his ground when another professor in the English department went and had dinner with a black man who was a communist. It's unheard of at that time that a, a Southern University president would say to the board of trustees, I'm in charge of everything here. If you want to fire someone, fire me. So he really was, in some regard, a very forward-thinking person. My only criticism is that, again, he naively thought that education and religion would bring about change. And if that were the case here in 2021, we shouldn't be dealing with voter suppression. We're talking with Gita Kapoor, who's a civil rights activist and law professor about her new book, To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University. There are a lot of other uh, universities within the UNC system. I mean, I guess this, this story focuses on Chapel Hill, but it's a, at least worth mentioning, I suppose, that there are 17 schools in the university system, and these issues of racism and white supremacy have plagued all of the schools within the UNC system uh, in, in one way or the other. Well, that's certainly true. And it's true because the University of North Carolina was the first public university in the nation. And so as the leader, they set the blueprint and still do to this day, which is why it's very important for us to look at this history because the university sets a precedent, in my mind, for all public universities across the nation. It's seen as a leader um, in education, it's seen as a leader in research. In fact, the Moderna vaccine came out right. of UNC. So it's history, it's hidden history, it's concealed history, it's history that's been scattered. Indeed, it's taken me years to put the story together. It's very important for us to look at. And, you know, before the university can actually have a reckoning, it's got to face the truth. Coming up next, part two of my chat with author Gita Kapoor. Don't go away. Read and hear more about important news and policy issues at ncpolicywatch.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. In part one of my special extended conversation with author, civil rights attorney, and law professor Gita Kapoor, we explored some of the remarkable and disturbing history, including the huge role played by enslaved people, that her new book, To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University, uncovers from the early decades of the University of North Carolina. In part two of our chat, we discuss some of the progress, failures, and challenges of the 20th and 21st centuries, and in particular, some of the steps that Kapoor believes the university must take now if there's ever going to be a true reckoning with UNC's white supremacist past and its modern-day legacy. In our limited time, let's talk about where things are today and and where they ought to go. We are in the midst of a moment now in which we've actually had a conservative consolidation of power within the UNC system, even more conservative than the leadership that had been leading the school in recent decades. And it seems in some respects, a kind of retrenchment. Is that a fair assessment uh, of where things stand right now? And what happens next? I think people focus a lot on the fact that, that the university has been taken over by the conservatives too much. Because if we look at the things that happened when the Democrats controlled mm -hmm. the university, they didn't fare much better. The university has always been controlled in large part by rich white men. Now, I say that, but we've gone back in progress, if, if I could put it in those terms. The way forward, first, let me say this, the university has a $6.5 billion endowment. So there are a lot of things they can do with that money. The way forward is first to have a reckoning where the truth is acknowledged. There's an apology for what happened. 
you can't really have reconciliation before you have the reckoning. And the university is very focused on having a number of commissions, a number of committees focused on issues of race to move forward. But you can't move forward unless you've acknowledged the truth. Mm-hmm. Because there are aggrieved parties to this day because of the university's systemic racism. And then after the reckoning, I think there has to be a reconciliation and reparations. What that looks like, I'm not sure. One thing that comes to my mind is a suggestion that someone on one of the commissions had. She's a community member. Her name is Danita Mason Hogans. She's become a proponent for the university opening an after-school program for all of the minority children in Chapel Hill, in the Chapel Hill Carborough school system. That's important because for generations, Black people in Chapel Hill have worked all of the menial labor jobs. And you can't get out of poverty making sometimes less than minimum wage or minimum wage. And we know that there's a tie between poverty and educational outcomes. That's sort of one way to move forward There are a few models. For example, Georgetown recently acknowledged that the university had been built in part by slavery um, and set up a fund for the aggrieved community to be able to attend Georgetown. I think they set up scholarships. So, you know, there are models out there. I hesitate to come up with a solution because I think the people who have been aggrieved are the ones who have the best solution. They've been facing the consequences of the university's policies for generations. In fact, you asked me earlier about the reaction I've got, the best achievement that will ever come from this book. And I don't know what will come in the future, but in my mind, the best achievement has already come. I opened my email the other day and got a request from someone to sign her book. She works the third shift at the university. She's a housekeeper. So I got the email. She said, you know, thank you for writing this book. And she had her cell phone number. So I called her. And the first thing she said is, I can't believe you wrote the story. I can't believe the story is out there. My grandfather used to tell me that our ancestors built the university. Thank you so much for writing the story. To me, I wrote with people like her in mind. That's the greatest achievement that will come from my book. Well, that's a pretty good one. We know that what progress that has happened over the decades has been through the determined exposure of the truth wherever possible, determined work of activists and advocates and rank and file people who are uh, living in this life. Yours seems to me an important chapter in that ongoing story. Uh, We hope very much will be a spur to even greater change in the days and weeks and months ahead. Congratulations on such an important book. The book is To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University by Gita Kapoor, K-A-P-U-R, in case you're wondering. Gita, how should people, what's the best way for people to find the book if they want to get a copy? What would you suggest? I'm steering people away from Amazon. We don't need to take another trip to the moon when we have so many issues here in America that we need to deal with first being poverty. So my book is available on Amazon, but I would like for people to purchase their book from bookshop.org. It's a company that supports the independent bookstores and, you know, independent bookstores are have taken quite a hit because of COVID and we need them for democracy to thrive. We, we really need our independent bookstores or people can buy it directly from the publisher, blairpub.org. So those are two places where my book can be bought. 
bookshop.org or blairpub.com, right? Blairpub.com. Check that out, folks. Again, the book is To Drink from the Well, The Struggle for Racial Equality at the Nation's Oldest Public University. Gita Kapoor, thanks so much for writing it and spending some time with us. And we'll talk again real soon, I hope. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncpolicywatch.com. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views. A weekly look at state and policy issues is a production of North Carolina Policy Watch. Visit them online at ncpolicywatch.com.